Hello and welcome to the Game Dev London podcast. I'm your host, Anna, and today I'm going to be talking to you about narrative designer as a career, what narrative design is, and what makes narrative design. And to help me with this, I have my lovely guest today with me, Pauline. Hi, Pauline. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, hi, everyone. Um, so, I'm working as a game designer at Splash Damage. Uh, and previously, I worked for narrative designer for two years. So, a mix of narrative and cinematics designer. So, I'll be telling you about it. Um, and I know Anna from um, BA in design, so we studied together. Um, so, yeah, I'll be talking about my experience and how I feel kind of uh, how you can kind of define narrative and also the differences between narrative designer and game designer as a career. Awesome. So let's start then. Uh, what is narrative design? What kind of like responsibilities you had as a narrative designer when you were working? So that's a really big question. Uh, it's it's a very undefined job, unfortunately. So like it feels like all the studios and even within, within studios, different teams have different definitions. Um, I think one definition I really like is one by Katie Chironis. So she's an American game designer who also worked as a narrative designer. So she's got some interesting perspectives. And she kind of separates it between writing, which is kind of more law and you know script writing, that kind of stuff. Uh, then you have content, which is more quest design, so kind of creating really in-game experiences. Uh, and then the systems design, which is kind of closer to game design. And that's kind of where I probably sat as a narrative designer, so working out how you can kind of really embed the narrative in the gameplay and what that means in terms of systems like dialogue or um, kind of working really closely with the other teams like game design, level design, etc. So it's kind of these three things at once. Um, depending on the studio, you might be doing more writing. So some narrative designers are kind of almost pure script writers. Some others are kind of game designers with a bit more of a narrative focus, which is kind of my case, I think, or was my case. Um, so it kind of depends. So yeah, it's, it's one of these careers where there's a lot of space for kind of finding your niche, but it can also be a little bit frustrating because it's kind of difficult to assess what your day-to-day will be. So um, in my case, I actually kind of transitioned to a cinematics job. So I worked at Ubisoft for two years. Uh, and so there was a lot of kind of hands-on implementation. I worked really closely with uh, so game designers, level designers, animators, um, realization kind of directors like people with the creative vision basically which was super interesting uh, and it was a mix of yeah being in engine kind of planning things with them realizing them uh, testing them kind of um, making sure that the narrative intention was realized through the cinematics uh, which was super interesting so I went from working kind of as a narrative designer to working with narrative designers but still under the umbrella of storytelling mm-hmm. I guess so. yeah so, like, as a narrative designer, do you, like you were saying, uh, writing scripts and stuff, is it, like, an actual script that, like, characters are going to be saying in the game, or is it more like you're talking with the writer who is writing lines and then you're scripting them into the game? Um, so, again, it probably depends on the role. So, in my case, uh, yeah, so I had to write a few scripts, so kind of character-based dialogue. So, I wrote for some, I can't I can't talk about who, but some <laughs> Assassin's Creed characters. Uh, it's very exciting. That in the um, no secrets <laughs> exactly. for us. <laughs> it never goes away. Uh, so if I can show you one day, but yeah, so I ended up doing some kind of yeah script writing, pure writing, um, and then so that was kind of the first the first few months I was there. When I transferred to cinematics, uh, it was more I was working with a writer who would then kind of write these cinematics, and I would actually implement them. So the role kind of shifted focus. Um, and I know, for example, in my current company, so Splash Damage. Um, 
it's a mixture of both depending on the project needs. So some people will be very writing focused. Some people will be kind of, um, we'll kind of more do the skeleton or the structure of what they want to achieve narratively. And we'll then give it to writers, um, internal or external writers, basically. Uh, so in my case, I didn't do much writing. It's not really my kind of skill, I think. Um, but yeah, it can depend. Yeah. And how would you do, like, you know, I know you said like, it's difficult to realize like what's your day to day, but like, do you have any advice to people, like what kind of questions to ask at the interview and stuff to understand what the role is going to be like? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously ask that question, what's your day-to-day? What would be your kind of tasks and your remit? Like, so are you expected to, you know, expected to turn out scripts? Are you expected to work on structure? Are you expected to do implementations? So these are probably the three main things like writing or structure implementation. Um, ask as well how big the team is, because if the team's quite big, it's likely that people can kind of specialize. So you might have someone who does the writing, so it's probably not going to be, if you don't want to do it, there may be a chance that you can kind of do something else, which was my case. Um, and I would say if you work for smaller teams, you probably will have to wear more hats. So it's more likely that you'll have to have a hand in a bit of everything. So I think the first thing probably is to ask yourself, you know, what kind of scale do you want to want to work? Do you want to try different things, in which case probably smaller team? Do you want to go towards specializing, in which case bigger team? And then at the interview, ask who's, you know, who's in the team? What do they do? What do you expect me to do? Uh, it's obviously likely that when you're junior, you probably will do a bit of everything. So you get a flavor for things and then, you know, you can specialize when you get seniority. Um, but yeah, just, uh, it's, it's definitely worth asking. And also if like me, you're very kind of design systems focused, um, also ask yourself whether, you know, you will get to do that as a narrative designer or whether you'd be best placed as a game designer who kind of works with the narrative team, which is another option. So, um, yeah, something to really kind of consider even in the job spec, but also at the interview. Yeah, it's interesting that you were saying like one part of narrative design is systems design because like in my experience you define like game design is system design basically mm-hmm. like it's kind of always been like game design is an umbrella and then you have like special yeah. just like UI designer, UX designer, uh, uh, systems designer. And it's interesting that like narrative design kind of just I guess des- just designs the dialogue systems. It's it's kind of open for interpretation, <laughs> which is really difficult. Um, it, there's loads of ways to see it. There's not, I think, right and wrong. Again, it depends on the studio, but it's it's kind of tricky because, uh, and this is why I switched to game design as well, because I'm, I'm very systems, like I love systems and logic. So for me, it makes more sense to, you know, to take that narrative uh, like that I have, but also to expand it to other areas like progression, XP, metagame, etc. So, which I'm doing now. So if you like systems, it's, it's a really tricky one. If you're purely into writing, it's probably easier. Narrative will definitely have some writing, like, or at least, you know, you'll have kind of an open door to writing, uh, in most jobs. Uh, it's, and I guess you could argue that if you like doing quests and stuff, you, in some companies, they call content designers or quest designers. So even then you have like some kind of sub, um, specialization. So I think in my opinion, it's narrative is one of these, it's one of the hardest roles to really know what you, you know, what the day-to-day is going to be like and what you're getting into. Uh, and it can be a bit frustrating. So, and again, this is why, you know, you really need to kind of dig into it at the interview to really understand, you know, is, are you going to do what you want to do? Do you have the right skill set as well? Because, you know, if you come from like me, like I'm, I don't have a writing background. So being asked to write script is really exciting, but it's, it's not really what I excel at. So it's, it's very difficult to kind of reconciliate the two. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember like at uh, Playground, I had to write the script and oh my god, this is actually difficult. You'd think like, yeah. oh, you just like say what you would say in a conversation, <laughs> and then you read it, and you're like, this is literally like the worst lines ever. 
Um, yeah, I had that feeling as well. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's true when you when you work as I did at Ubisoft, I worked with some amazing writers and, and narrative designers. And when you read their script, and it's it's so you know it's so tight, so concise, it says everything it needs to say, and that's it's such an art. Um, so I think you know it's it's important as well not to underestimate how much it takes. You know, it's not it's it's really a skill you develop like design. You know, so um, and I think that's another thing that makes it hard for narrative designers because you may be asked to kind of be expert to so many things. Uh, I think game designers, we suffer from that as well. You know, you may have to do loads of types of design, but again, because narrative design tends to be very kind of um, very broad and the studios themselves sometimes don't really know what they want from, from narrative designers. It's it's really challenging. Um, so what of advice if you go to narrative design, it's probably going to be, it's, it's going to be a journey of like trial and error and kind of finding the right place for yourself, finding the right role. You might want to branch, branch out into game design or content design or something else. Um, but yeah, it's a possibility. So like kind of transitioning into the skills and stuff, like, so what kind of skills do you think you need to have to be like, to succeed as a narrative designer? Like, uh, as you said, like writing helps, but is there anything else? So I can only kind of answer from the systemic part because I that's kind of what I focus on. So a fairly close to game design, I would say that you need. To, so if you want to do something like very, you know, narrative design, like the design part, or systemic, uh, obviously you have an understanding of game design in general, the psychology, uh, kind of uh, play needs, like different play types, etc. Uh, it's kind of game design things. Um, you probably, if you want to work as a narrative designer, you'll have to show that you've made some games. So like at least one game that you finished on your own or with some people. Uh, if you want to kind of go towards more, I think the content design and writing, this is where, you know, stuff like mods or, you know, even twine games maybe can be interesting. So if you want to be a content designer, probably you want to show you've made some quests for like, I don't know, Skyrim or something like that. There's other tools you can use. Uh, and for the writing side, that's probably the one I, I can least answer, but um, obviously a portfolio of writing, you can ask as well. You can try and get in touch with the, the recruiting people to see what, what kind of uh, samples they need. Cause it's about, I guess, making sure you can match the, the role. So it's making sure that when you start the role, you can kind of deliver on what they need, even if it's not perfect. Uh, so this is one that seems to be a bit more tricky to work out. Um, so reach out to, to the company, I would say, the, the person recruiting. So it's basically like you need to be a game designer and a narrative designer and fun. Um, you need to be everything. Yeah. And it's, for me, I mean, I had a very, when I started at Ubisoft, so I was a junior narrative designer. Yeah. Than cinematics designer. So for the junior narrative designer, I basically just had a almost pure game design portfolio, like coming out of university with some games that were quite uh, systemic because again, that's, that's what I like. Um, and I, I just made sure that because I wanted to do narrative, I had some kind of um, a few extras, like a few dialogues that written, some character profiles I'd done. So I, I did those basically. And then you can even add stuff like um, if you've done some blogs or if you've done a, a thesis, um, you can kind of show that you can critically, you know, you can write maybe prose or something, but you can also analyze and kind of present things to people. So I think for all design roles, that's important, and including narrative. Um, and again, like... Uh, we were saying earlier, unless it's a purely writing role, if there's a design element, you're gonna to have to show that you have that, you know, you you kind of think of the player, you think of like how you present things in the game. Uh, and if you if you go to like one of these kind of um, design focused narrative design roles with just writing, it's, something's missing. So also consider whether you have the right profile at this stage to apply for one of those, because you need to be quite broad in your skills. And how, uh, like, we're talking about how you're designing systems and stuff, but, like, how is it actually different to be a narrative designer than being a game designer, like, from your perspective? Mm. Uh, so, 
I hope this is not like too controversial, but basically what happened to me, we'll see. Uh, what happened to me is that I, so when I was making games on my own, I was obviously designing the systems myself, the narrative. So, you know, even like a kind of, I don't know, procedural content or, or dialogue systems. What I found uh, working in AAA is because people are so specialized, actually these always went to the game design team. So anything that was systemic, even narrative systemic, would kind of be really under the umbrella of game design and narrative designers can plug into it, but they don't really get to actually make the system. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I kind of switched to game design fully because I wanted to actually make them and make the rules for them. Uh, so I would say that's another thing to keep in mind. You may not, you know, if you're a systemic driven person, you may not get the opportunity to express that as a narrative designer. I'm sure some companies are quite different. I know some have a very holistic view of like, you know, narrative and game design is, but if you, if you go to big companies, they tend to really kind of specialize and you do lose out in some interesting things, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I find it's like every company would have like their own definition of roles. Like you kind yeah. of do the, sa the same kind of stuff, but it's always slightly different. But yeah. like, it's really like strange that um, you didn't even get to design how like the dialogues work and stuff. Like, so do you just like basically like create the narrative and plug it into the system that just already exists. Yeah, it was kind of like that. And it was it was a case where, you know, of course, again, designers worked really closely with narrative design, but they own it. And it was kind of more of a, you know, the role then became more of a just filling in what they had. Uh, and I think this is a, a problem, like with kind of siloing roles like that. It's like you lose, again, you lose this kind of holistic approach to it. So it becomes, oh, it's a gameplay system where you have words. And it's, you know, it doesn't really kind of... Um, it doesn't really explore the whole potential of doing both at once. Uh, and so I I find that it's easier as a game designer work. I'm, I'm kind of on the other side, basically. So I'm working with the narrative designers and I'm trying to have as much of their input as possible to kind of create the systems. I mean, I don't work particularly on dialogue systems, but I do work on systems that uh, where there is a kind of narrative input and output. And it's a case of trying to work together. And unfortunately, they don't own it. I own it now, which which suits me. Um, but, <laughs> but I think it's... Um, that kind of thing only works as well when you have teams that are very kind of tight and very collaborative, which is my case now. And I'm really happy with that because, yeah, you can end up in situations where, you know, game design will do something that's really great for the game, but maybe not so much for the narrative part of the game. And then the more disconnect you have, the more the game suffers, basically. So it's a really tricky balance to hit. And that's how we get some YouTube videos about like how the gameplay doesn't tell the narrative of the game. Yeah, exactly. I, I really think, I mean, it's something maybe we can discuss later on, but like it, it's very difficult sometimes to to understand why the industry silos things so much because it's, of course, it makes sense in big, you know, big companies because you have to have people kind of specializing, but it does you do lose some of the coherence of the game if you, if you really silo things. And we are trying to mediate that by working together and collaborating, of course. But it's, um, I know there's some, you know, some approaches to it, like in Japan, some companies don't really have narrative and game designers. They're just planners or designers. And they work with writers. It's kind of a different dynamic. So it's, it's interesting how different people, like different countries even tackle it differently. Yeah, like, I feel like it's because our industry is, like, so young, you don't really yeah. have, like, a definition of, like, what people do in their jobs that much. Uh, yeah. But we're getting there. It will be there. Uh, so, yeah. like, but what kind of, like, interactions do you have, did you have with game design and now with narrative design? Like, how does the collaboration work? Did you work with, like, engineers at all um, or other disciplines? 
So as a narrative, so when I was a pure narrative designer, very, very little, which for me was quite frustrating. So I, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it was because of the nature of, you know, the, the work at the time, but we were quite disconnected from the team. And I, again, felt like a big missed opportunity. When I transitioned to cinematics, I mean, I, I guess I wasn't purely narrative anymore, so I worked with narrative design. And that's when I started to talk a lot more to game design in terms of implementing, you know, features uh, for cinematics. And like I said earlier, working with loads of different people like animation, UI, uh, the tech teams, um, and, you know, AI teams and stuff like that. So it feels like sometimes, unfortunately, narrative can kind of still sit outside uh, the process a little bit, which is, you know, a bit of a shame. Uh, and I know studios are trying really, really hard to kind of, uh, you know, not not have this happening, but it, there is still, I think, somewhere, like there's a perception that, you know, narrative just writes on top of things and then you can just call it a day. And, and of course, I think we all know that it's not the case, but it's very difficult to merge the two, basically. Um, so yeah, not, not enough interactions in my opinion. Then that changed as a cinematics designer. So I kind of opened up a lot to other teams. And now, so I'm in a fairly small design team. And so I work with two narrative, so with three game designers, uh, and I work with two narrative designers. Um, and because we are part of one kind of unit, one design team, we work together every day, you know, maybe not on the same piece of work, but we communicate a lot. So, you know, I feel like we never, we try not to sign something off or just go ahead with something without their input, basically. And they do the same with us. Um, so that means, you know, although we do kind of still silo and we have different uh, focuses, at least we can make sure that we are kind of going in the same direction together. So it's, and sometimes it's difficult because obviously, you know, we're very gameplay focused. We have a real focus on the player first. Uh, and sometimes narrative, obviously, they have to focus on the structure, the story, the, the kind of um, the player fantasy they're trying to tell. And that can be a bit, it, it can take them away from the player a little bit. So we, it there is friction, but it's, it's healthy friction, I would say. So work very close together. Yeah, all opinions always matter and the perspective yes. everyone brings on the table, like it's sure. sometimes eye-opening for sure. Um, gosh, I had my question in my head <laughs> just a second ago. Um, yes, so um, how do you make sure that you kind of like marry the gameplay and uh, the narrative, like um, uh, both as a narrative designer and as a game designer? Uh, what's it kind of your point is i guess like things that you keep in mind all the time um so that's an interesting one because that's a challenge i have right now for like uh oh, nda can't talk about anything but like i'm working on a particular feature where i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm trying really hard to not disconnect the two basically so it's um so i mean first being aware of that and i think it's it's easier to disconnect the two and to kind of design things independently but i think it's trying to take on the challenge of doing that and trying to get, again, like we said, um, trying to get everyone on board and to understand the intent and how the intent is going to affect them. So, for example, my feature touches on narrative, uh, you know, some narrative elements. Uh, and it's really kind of trying to make sure the team understands that that it does and does that create some problems for them? Does, does that solve some issues? Are there issues that they want to solve that, you know, I'm not considering? So we have to, like, do a lot of back and forth on that. Um, so I think, yeah, it's like... Doing that, trying to do that from the get-go, getting all the team on board, so not just, you know, working between game designers and, and just saying, you know, here it is. Like, we try not, never to do that, basically. Um, and it's also kind of trying to think, I mean, that sounds really office-speaky, but, like, trying to think a bit outside the box as well, because, again, we're, you know, there's a lot of game design that's recycled, and for good reasons, because it's, it's very good, and it's, you know, it's been proven time and time again that it 
creates compelling experiences, but are there new ways of looking at, I don't know, systems or features in a game that would bring the two closer together? Um, and, you know, it can be very simple. Like one of my maybe favorite examples of narrative design, I'm a big fan of Dishonored, the game, the franchise Dishonored. Uh, and they do this thing where if you kill, so spoilers for anyone who hasn't played it, but <laughs> so you can kind of go stealthy or, or kind of good. Um, you can also kill people. So it's a game that, that allows you to do, it's an immersive sim, so you can do both. But if you kill people, so if you have this kind of uh, violent approach to the world, then the world changes and, and the pe the way people react to you and the world, the actual, you know, art of the world changes. It becomes a lot more grim and you can see a lot of kind of zombies in the street, stuff like that. And for me, that's a really good example of like, you know, there's a narrative aim to show the impact of your action and to kind of match the world you're in. And that, that is fed for gameplay. And the systems are totally kind of, um, they work together really well. And that's, it's the kind of system that I think we should kind of look into. But they, the simplicity in design and marrying the two is obviously very challenging. So yeah, but we're trying, we're trying hard. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, like, uh, not forgetting about, like, how the world, like, how your actions affect the world. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it's such an important element of the game as well. Like, knowing that yeah. what you're doing as a player has some impact on the narrative. Like, the amount of videos I watch when people, like, criticize a lot of games. Uh, yeah. Not gonna name any because I don't remember the names. Uh, but, like, <laughs> criticize them for like either having very simplistic systems like that where it's mm -hmm. like you know exactly how it's going to react or like it just does nothing and you're not immersed um, yeah and i think another way to look at it as well like especially with systems is to look at the input and output and i think we want to we want to avoid systems i think where it's just purely narrative input purely narrative output so you know uh, they can be very interesting, you know, in their own good, but stuff like, you know, you just, if you say something, the character's going to be pissed off, or it's going to be sad or happy or something, but then nothing else in the game. So maybe you kind of, uh, I don't know, you, you hit them with like friendly fire, like 10 times and they don't react. For me, that's a bit of a disconnect. I think it's that kind of striving to actually reflect the player actions as well in the narrative and as well in the way it kind of, I don't know, the people in the world or the world reacts to you. I think that's still something that's not explored very often. So uh, another thing to consider, yeah, input and output. Yeah, I, I think like the best outcome would be like narrative and gameplay, like very closely working together to decide like which actions lead to what. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like what makes, not in your job necessary, but like as a player for you, what makes like a good narrative in a game? So it's interesting question. So again, probably because of my bias, because uh, again, I'm quite systemic. I really like being surprised. Uh, so I'm, again, I know that's not the case uh, for many narrative designers and that's fair, but I like procedural stuff. So <laughs> I really like games like uh, Crusader Kings where you're just constantly surprised by what the game throws at you. And it, it makes sense. So, you know, it's um, your actions. Again, we were talking about that. Your actions have an impact. Uh, they have consequences across hundreds of years. Um, and it's it's a game where you, you have this really strong sense of characters and who they are. And you get, you get to hate some people. You love some people. You go on revenge missions that are just really stupid. And it's, it's amazing. So I think a game that makes you care like that is really great. Um, so I really like that kind of stuff, procedural narrative. On the other end of the spectrum, because I'm really into film and I've worked in cinematics and stuff, um, I also like games where it's kind of a paradox, but I like games like Yakuza as well, where you have like this really strong, really strong story, really bold cutscenes that really kind of put you in the world and have a really kind of um, wow factor to them. I really like that. Um, and again, Yakuza is an example I could have said earlier, because it's a game where 
everything you do as a character makes sense for who you are or who you present it to be, basically. Uh, so I like games where there's that kind of, yeah, either procedural or like very narrative heavy, but at the end of the day, where, you know, you're immer- they're trying to stay immersive within the promise they give you, if that makes sense. So, you know, Crusader Kings is kind of crazy and, you know, it's it's all procedural, it's all weird. You know that Yakuza is a much more stable world with stable people, stable characters. Uh, and they both kind of really run all the way with the ideas. And I, f- I think that's really good. Um, and s- some cool examples in Yakuza, again, to kind of show that they really consider the narrative and the gameplay together. Um, so Yakuza Zero, which is set in the uh, kind of bubble era of Japan in the 80s, when you hit people in the street, actually money comes out because it was an era of like economic boom. And that's such a small touch, but it really shows that they are thinking about as a player, what will you see, what will you experience? Uh, and I think it's really great because it really hits the kind of game design goal of like a satisfying kind of, you know, crunchy combat, but also it kind of, it really matches the world you're in. And I think that's good. Um, and yeah, just to, to give a third kind of point, I really like, I really like um worlds that are well realized that feel kind of real and yakuza is a good example it's a really small world like it's not huge it's not an open world but it's a very tiny open world uh but the level of detail and the level of kind of lived in uh the lived in field that you get in that world i think really strengthens the narrative and that's a really good thing um yeah sprawling answer but yeah yeah like this kind of i guess environmental storytelling is like so important and powerful like you can tell the story without saying the a world a word yeah. and in especially like in games like you can tell stories without having a narrator tell like you, you yeah. kind of like imagine the stories and like you create them in your head even though it might not even yeah. be the same story as the gameplay designers intended or something um yeah. Which kind of like, did you ever like work with environment artists a lot to create yes. the environments for the storytelling? Yeah, so I did, especially when I was uh, as a cinematics designer, actually, because obviously the cinematics were set in the world and we had to find the right place for them, the right angle, even stuff like, you know, uh, a place where there's not too many boxes you have to render and stuff like that. So, uh, so that was really great. So from a purely narrative perspective, obviously, there are, you know, uh, they're the people who make the vision kind of real in terms of obviously visuals. So they're, they're really super important. So again, it's an area where there needs to be kind of close collaboration because they are, they need to buy into the narrative vision to kind of realize their work. Uh, and so that, that also comes from, you know, the narrative team needs to kind of brief them and make sure that, you know, the narrative intent are well understood and so on. And it's the same with cinematics and, you know, working with even VFX people or people who kind of deal with the visuals in general. Um, it's super important and I think, yeah, it's, it's a relationship that you have to kind of nurture over time and you have to kind of, um, you know, the more they, get, they understand your vision, the better they can realize it, basically. So it's, um, yeah, and it was really cool. And it's it's forever amazing to see environmental artists and, and VFX artists, like, just make something happen and, you know, do like a tiny change and the world comes alive, basically. That's, yeah, I, I love their work. They're yeah, really that's cool. amazing. Like, honestly, environment artists, like, the... Uh, asset placement and this kind of stuff like telling the yeah. story with like how the bottles are arranged and the books and so so like mm. do you do you give them like a brief of like also like this character lived in this house so you can uh, like give them a flavor to the environment yeah i mean so i worked on assassin's creed so uh, you know we would together kind of dig into the historical you know with some researchers as well into the his the history of the place or like what would be depicted what would be what would make sense and then you know who's in there what what do they do like you know there's this saying which uh we were talking about at work today actually like you know everyone in the team can can do that can contribute to narrative right so environmental artists as well you know if you give them a brief they can kind of 
you know, they can take it one step further and kind of um, add a lot more texture and kind of life to the world, basically. Uh, so it depends on, on exactly what task you're working on. But yeah, we, we, we always kind of kept them up to date with the work. And then together, we kind of review their progress to see if it fits, uh, if there's any challenges we need to solve. Sometimes technical stuff gets in the way as well. You can't realize as much as you want to. So you have to like make some cut corners in cinematics, for example. So uh, yeah, really key relationship. Yeah, at some point we'll be able to make uh, games without caring about police, and that would be perfect. <laughs> Never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, when you were talking about your favorite narrative, you were talking about like procedural and like very characters, but like a very like kind of linear and focused. Yeah. So it it brings me to like thinking like there are actually like a lot of types of narrative that you can design. It could be like completely emergent, based on just like some like like emergent gameplay, like however like all systems can interact with each other can be like very linear like what kind of types i think you would distinguish between different narratives oh good question it's so broad i mean definitely like we were saying at the extreme ends you have like procedural you have um i don't know what the the name is there's probably a clever name for it but yeah the the games where the story comes from your actions like the sims or even crusader kings to some extent where you know you kind of make the story yourself so that's on the kind of one end on the other end you have like the very yeah linear kind of character heavy or story heavy uh, type games I, it's difficult to say what's in between i mean yeah emergent storytelling for the other one um i'm not sure beyond that i think it's kind of all games seem to be a combination of loads of stuff so i think this it's really difficult to pinpoint you know this game is this one and this game is that one unless you have extreme examples but um you know there's other things you can explore so like modular narration with kind of uh, vignette style you know you instead of being linear, you experience different things, different time. Uh, obviously you can do branching stuff. So there's loads of different ones. I think a pure narrative designer could probably pin it down a bit more, but for me, it's just like, it's just loads of interesting opportunities to dig into basically. Yeah. Fair enough. And like, uh, also the way like you tell, like, I guess, present the narrative from the perspective where it's like the character can be like a specific character uh, yeah. where, you know, I guess like, is it easier to, do you think it's easier to write for like a character who is a specific character or for a character who's like player kind of you're playing yourself? I think probably, <laughs> so I'm going to base that on conversations I've had at work, you know, with narrative designers who, because, you know, they, in my case, they were the ones writing and, and so on. Uh, I, I think that it, it has pros and cons, but one thing to consider obviously is like the more, uh, the more branchy, the more procedural, the more you have to write and the more difficult it is to kind of give life to someone, you know, a really strong sense of character. So uh, I've heard many times that, you know, often people's preference seem to be for like these really strong personalities or at least, you know, kind of fixed personalities. Uh, and it, it kind of gets more difficult the more you, you, you spread it out, basically. Uh, probably depends on the on the designer. I mean, you know, again, very designy perspective. But for me, there's also something interesting about, uh, you know, kind of playing around with traits, character types, archetypes, that kind of stuff, because then you can, again, get into these kind of cool, surprising situations like you have in Crusader Kings. So uh, probably depends on the person, but you probably get into, yeah, kind of uh, production issues slash workload issues if you really branch out, which, as we know, is, is always there in the back. It's always yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as a player, do you prefer usually to play as a character or as someone you created yourself? Like, I mean, as a fixed character. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, really is it question. The Witcher yeah. or, like, Sims? 
<laughs> uh, it's interesting. I, I I enjoy both. If there's one I prefer, I mean, for example, you know, it's it's really cool to play as Geralt in The Witcher. For example, I love that experience in terms of kind of uh, you know, or Yakuza. You play as these very different characters. It's really good. It kind of fulfills different needs. I think it's like sometimes I like to I make myself usually so I make myself in a game. That's really fun. Uh, so it just depends on the game. I would say it's a bit of a wishy washy answer, but. Um, I think a lot of games give you a really good opportunity to kind of, um, yeah, to inhabit this person, to kind of take yourself out of, you know, out of yourself and, and play someone really strong. But there's also a lot of value in, in the more kind of role-playing, a pure role-playing aspect. So a uh, bit of both, I would say. Fair enough. I think like for me, I would I prefer fixed characters because mm. I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen a game that would allow me to play like the character that I wanted. Because if there are yeah. like, obviously it's a g- game, like in D&D, you can be any character you want and like play any mm. way you want. But in a video game, you have some limitations, like there might be like only five dialogue choices and yeah. what to do if you can't, yeah. don't want to choose any of them. Um, but yeah. Uh, how uh, so uh, you you played D D right? Uh, I never played D and D. I know a lot. I know a lot about it from afar, but yeah, I I have to. I'm desperate to play D and D. Well, my question was: uh, Is it much different creating a narrative for D and D than creating a narrative for a game? But I guess you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. Know. And to be honest, uh, it's interesting because that gets into tabletop as a as a dis- like you know if you think of video games as in video games uh you have tabletop you have board games as well they all tell stories differently just like they all do gameplay differently that maybe i guess the systems that they're everywhere but like i think the narrative is a bit different but um yeah that would be an interesting one to ask again people who work in that field if it's different but i i am i don't know fair enough uh and like we talked about good narratives like what for you is like a bad narrative like when like things go wrong kind of thing no, um, don't have to like be very critical or anything. Just opinion. oh yeah, no. I mean, I think for me, it's, it's again. I I try to look at it kind of together with gameplay, and in in that respect, I think it's whether what the game promises me I can do or be kind of um, uh, betrays me in a way. So you know, if you if you're allowed to do all these things and you're allowed to make all these choices, but the choices end up being nothing or the choices end up, you know, doing something completely different. Uh, I think that sense of betrayal is is quite frustrating and I, I don't like that. Uh, I think it can be done really well. Like one that does it well is The Witcher where, you know, you, you kind of have these quests which are really morally gray and you can do one thing that you think is going to help the world or someone and you end up doing the total opposite. I think they handle it really well. So this is kind of the counter example, but there are some games where, you know, you kind of... Um, I mean, I, I love Dragon Age, but like, there's something that really annoyed me in Dragon Age, although it makes sense. So, you know, um, but there was this thing where, you know, you can romance who you want in Dragon Age Origins, you know, you can, you can role play. So I think I played an elf, I romanced Alistair, of course. And then the, the, the whole time, the whole game, you're told, Hey, this is, you know, this is cool. Like you, you're getting somewhere with this character, you're building this really strong relationship. Uh, and again, spoilers, but at the end, if you're an elf and Alistair becomes king, it just leaves you and, and that breaks and then that's the end of the game. And I felt really betrayed. I mean, it, it's it's bold and it makes sense, but it's again in a game where you invest 100 hours, it's it's hard. It's a hard kind of pill to swallow, basically. Um, so I would say, yeah, as, as long as that kind of promise to the play is kind of uh, sustained, I think you can experiment with lots of different stuff. But for me, that's probably my limit. Well, I feel like I've kind of wasted my investment and uh, something happens that doesn't gel, 
basically. But like from a narrative perspective, that kind of makes perfect sense. Or am I missing something? <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. And this is where like, again, I, I wonder how like, a, you know, maybe someone who's kind of a pure narrative designer, so to speak, might look at it differently. But for me, I, I just look at it as, you know, it's it's the investment i think it's like it makes sense narratively but and again maybe that's you know it's something to consider like will your will the narrative choices in the game or the kind of where the where the narrative goes will it betray that investment or can you find a way like the witcher to kind of make it you know make it make sense so like what the witcher does actually the, the way they solve it is they make it on a smaller scale so it's not the whole thing that falls apart it's one it's a few kind of important things but you know you don't waste or you don't lose your whole progress or something. Um, so I would definitely prefer doing that way rather than the Dragon Age way, although it's really excellent games in every other way. It, yeah. it feels like the narrative design is like perfectly there, but there wasn't a game designer who was like, wait, people are exactly. going to invest so much yeah. time in it. Possibly. Or, or they both decide all they did and they decided actually that's that's a you know that that's worth doing that's worth that's a risk worth taking which is possible as well um because you know there is a sense of uh if you look at it purely narratively in that case there's a sense of yeah it's logical it makes sense uh you should have known you know etc and and they're kind of fair arguments but um yeah i I think they should be avoided these situations um and in terms of like quests, so uh, like while we were talking, I was uh, you were saying like about investment and stuff. I remembered mm-hmm. there were like a few games where I would like be going on a quest, and then there is nothing to tell me that I'm gonna <laughs> if I'm gonna go and do that other quest, I'm gonna fail this one. So like, yes. how do you design around that, or why do you design it that way? If that's so, I don't purpose. know. So. I have honestly, I don't know. That would be probably a quest designer who can answer that. I I am not sure, but I share your frustration. I one example that comes to mind, and again, I love this game to bits. But uh, in Baldur's Gate One, which is quite old now, I replayed recently just to to kind of look into it. Um, you have this thing where you recruit characters, and or you recruit a character. Uh, he tells you, "Hey, my partner is like stuck there. You must rescue her." It doesn't tell you when, and of course, you understand that it's going to be soon, etc. Uh, but if you don't do it within the day limit, it just leaves and you, you never see these characters again. And again, you miss out on really cool gameplay. Uh, maybe it comes down to what you kind of favor in terms of, again, narrative and gameplay. For me, I think I probably favor the gameplay side of it. Uh, so, yeah, the mileage may vary, but uh, it's interesting. The, the quest stuff, again, I, I can't answer for quest designer, but I mean, it's... Um, Yes, it's a delicate balance because I guess you want to make it, you know, you want to have impactful choices and impactful, you know, even time or what you choose to do or not do is a, is a choice, right? But uh, I think, again, it probably for me crosses the line where it punishes you. So when you have, I prefer like, uh, you know, I, my kind of philosophy is I'd rather design for like encouraging than punishing. I, I don't really like saying, you know, if you don't talk to Bob or something, if you don't say Bob, Brendan will hate you forever. Like, I don't know that kind of stuff. Uh, I'd rather say, hey, if you talk to Bob, Brendan's going to give you an extra bread or something. I don't know. The um, carrot and stick approach. Exactly. I, it's, I think it's nicer. And it's, I, you know, it's, it's really big and you don't always get to design what you want as well or, or how you want it. But I really like this kind of uh, more wholesome, you know, um, less kind of uh, black and white type of design. And again, this is why games like The Witcher are really great because they're really good at kind of uh, muddling the water and, you know, it's it's not binary choices. Like it's not, you know, you're good or you're bad. It's, it's kind of looking at different options and role-playing different options and seeing what happens. And that's really cool. And that's encouraging, in my opinion. Yeah, The Witcher is like my favorite game of all time. Like it is perfect in every way. Like they yes. 
I, I love like I really like how all of the choices are just great. Like you never know like which one is good. Like even in the books, like the the entire thing was always like you're choosing the lesser evil, and the yeah. game implemented that. It was such a skill. Like it was amazing for sure. It's really cool. Uh, well, do you have any kind of like advice or last thoughts on the narrative design, the career, just in general? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, for people who want to get into it, just a few, a few kind of things to know, caveats, I don't know how you want to call them, but yeah, it's, it's pretty difficult. Uh, it, it's a field that's very saturated with excellent people, unfortunately, so there's not enough jobs for all the talent there is. So just, it's a word of warning that it may be difficult, even if you're very talented, uh, to kind of get the right role. It's, I mean, for me, it was kind of luck. I was there at the right time, and hopefully as many people as possible will be in that situation. But it's a very difficult one to get into. And another thing I would consider is, like we said earlier, uh, because the role is so kind of um, is so broad and it's a change, it really changes depending on where you land. Uh, consider very carefully what you yourself want to do. It's very, I guess it, you know, it's very tempting to so I'll do whatever they ask and I'll, I'll just I'll just get XP in that way. Very tempting, uh, but you should kind of try and ask yourself where you want to go. I think. Um, so like we said earlier, you know, if, if you're really into writing, um, make sure that there will be a space for you to do that in your narrative design role. If you're into kind of more, you really like quest design, breaking down quests, uh, look into content design as well, because it's, a, it's very close to narrative. Um, and if like me, you're very on the systemic side, uh, consider game design, because actually in my experience, it may be different with other people, but in my experience, it's been the place where I've been able to actually express what interests me about narrative design rather than actually being a narrative designer, which is very maybe very particular to me, but it's just something to kind of try and wrap your head around and try and see what the right place for you is. So, um, yeah, consider if that's the right career or if the kind of um, jobs around it might be a better fit for you. Um, that's what I would say to people. And as always with all design roles, uh, try and make games and see, you know, if you make a game, do you actually enjoy what you consider narrative? Do you enjoy making quests or not really? Do you enjoy writing dialogue or not really? That that will also inform you. So try and get your hands in engine and, and make things. And that will definitely kind of help you on your way forward, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Like try, trying things at the start of your career yeah. and actually figuring out what exactly you want to do is very important. And yeah. on this note, thank you very much. Uh, it thank was you. a very uh, lovely podcast. Uh, so where can people find you? Um... Yeah, so I'm uh, on LinkedIn, of course. So especially if you have work questions, uh, reach out to me. So under my name, Pauline Martin. I'm on Twitter, which I think, Anna, you're going to share the Twitter. Uh, I love chatting to people. I just have to warn you, I only post about Japan obscure Japanese films. So don't get discouraged by that. <laughs> it's still good to me. Uh, so yeah, when you LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, yeah, if you've got any questions, I mean, like I said, I'm, uh, you know, if you have like very purely narrative questions, I may not be the right person, but I can try and help you as much as I can, or even point you to someone else who can kind of answer specific questions. So um, definitely reach out. I'm always happy to chat. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that concludes our episode of uh, Game Dev London podcast. And thank you to my lovely guest, Pauline, uh, for sharing with us her experiences in narrative design. Um, and uh, to everyone who tuned in, uh, be sure to check out our gamedev.london for the next latest updates. And uh, see you next uh, this week next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.